Chapter One, Part E of Greener Than You Think. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Greener Than You Think by Ward Moore. Chapter One, Part E. This will just about ruin our sales, I said. Miss Frances suspended the toothpick before her chin and looked at me as though I'd said dirty words in the presence of ladies. Well, it will, I argued. You can't expect people to have their lawns inoculated if they find out it's going to make grass act this way. Her eyes might have been microscopes, and I something smeared on a slide. Wiener, you're the sort of man who peddles life begins at forty to the inmates of an old people's home. I couldn't see what had upset her. The last idea had sound sales appeal, but it was a low-income market. Oh, well, her queer notions and obscure reactions undoubtedly went with her scientific gift. You have to lead individuals of this type for their own good, otherwise they spend their lives wandering around in a dreamy fog, accomplishing nothing. I still believe you've got something, I pointed out. You yourself said it wasn't perfected, but perhaps you haven't realized how far from marketable it actually is yet. Now then, I went on reasonably, you're just going to have to dilute it or change it or do something to it, so while it will make grass nice and green, it won't let it grow wild like this. The fixed look could be annoying. It was nearly impossible to turn your eyes away without rudeness once she caught them. Wiener, the metamorphizer, is neither fertilizer nor plant food. It is a chemical compound producing a controlled mutation in any treated member of the family Graminia. Dilution might make it not work, the mutation might not take place, but it couldn't make it half work. I could change your nature by forcibly injecting an ounce of lead into your cerebellum. The change would not only be irrevocable, but it wouldn't make the slightest difference if the lead were adulterated with iron pyrites or not. But, Miss Frances, I expostulated, you'll have to do something. She threw her hands into the air, a theatrical gesture even more than ordinarily unbecoming. Why? Why? To make your discovery marketable, of course. Now, in the face of this... Miss Frances, I said with dignity, you are a lady, and my self-respect makes me treat you with the courtesy due your sex. You advertise for a salesman. Instead of sneering at my honest efforts to put your merchandise across to the public, I think you'd be better advised to worry about such lowbrow things as keeping faith. Am I to keep faith in a vacuum? You came to me as a salesman, and I must give you something to sell. This is simple morality. But if such a grant entails concomitant evils, surely I am absolved of my original contract. I don't know what you're talking about, I told her frankly. Your stuff made the grass grow too fast, that's all. You should change the formula or find a new one or else, or else you'll have been left with nothing to sell. I despair of making the point about changing the formula. Your trust in my powers is too reverent. Again, I'm not an arrogant woman, and I'll admit to some responsibility. Make the world fit for Alfred Weiner to make a living in. It's Albert, not Alfred, I corrected her. 
I'm not touchy, goodness knows, but after all, a name's a piece of property. Your pardon, Albert. She looked down at me with such a placatory and genuinely feminine smile, I decided I'd been foolish to be offended. She's a nut, of course, I thought indulgently, someone whose life is bounded by theories and test tubes, a woman with no conception of practical reality. Instead of being affronted, it would be better to show her patiently how essential my help was to her. Of all people, she went on, searching my face with those discomforting eyes, of all people I've the least cause for moral snobbery, anxious to get a few dollars to carry on my work. And what was such anxiety but self-indulgence? I threw the metamorphizer to you and the world before I realized that it was not only imperfect but faulty. Hell is paved with good intentions, and the first result of my desire to benefit mankind has been to injure the Dinkmans. Meditation in place of infatuation would have shown me both the immediate and ultimate wrongs. I doubt if you'd been gone an hour yesterday when I knew I'd made a blunder in permitting you to go out with danger in both hands. I don't know what you're getting at, I said stiffly, for it sounded as though she were regarding me as a child. Why, as I was sitting, composing my thoughts toward extending the effectiveness of the metamorphizer beyond Grimina, it suddenly became clear to me I'd erred about not knowing how long the effect of the inoculations would last. You mean you found out? If she brought the thing under control and the effect lasted a specified time, there might be repeat business after all. I found out a great deal by using speculation and logic for a change instead of my hands and memory. I sat and thought, and though this is an unorthodox way for a scientist to proceed, I profited by it. I reasoned, if you change the genetic structure of a plant, you change it permanently. Not for a day or an hour, but for its existence. I'm not speaking of chance mutations, you understand, Wiener, coming about over a course of generations, generations which include sports, degenerates, adivars, and so forth, but of controlled changes brought about through human intervention. Inoculation by the metamorphizer might be compared to cutting off a man's leg or transplanting part of his brain. Albert, what happens when you cut off a man's leg? I was tired of being talked to like a grammar school class. Still, I humored her. Why, then, he has only one leg, I answered, agreeably, if idiotically. True. More than that, he has a one-legged disposition. His whole ego, his entire spirit is changed. No longer a two-legged creature reduced, he is another, warped, if you like, being. To come to the immediate point of the grass, if you engender an omnivorous capacity, you implant an insatiable appetite. I don't catch. If you give a man a big belly, you make him a hog. A Chevy coupe, gently breathing steam from its radiator cap, interrupted. From its turtle hung the blade of a scythe, and on the nervously hinged door had been hopefully lettered, Archangelo Borelli, Plowing and Grading. While the coupe was trembling for some seconds before quieting down, I sighed a double relief at Miss Frances's forgetfulness of the money due her and the soothing of my fears for the lawns eating its way downward to China or India. The remark about gluttonous abdomens was disturbing. 
And, of course, there will be no further sale of the metamorphizer, she concluded, her eyes now totally concerned with the farmer who was opening the turtle with the air of a man expecting to be unpleasantly astonished. Mr. Borelli came as to a deathbed, a consoling but hopeless smile widening his narrow face only inconsiderably. At the scythe, cradled in his arms, someone shouted, "'Here's old Father Tom himself!' Mr. Borelli wasn't amused. Brushing his forehead thoughtfully with tender fingers, he surveyed with saddened eye the three graduated steps of grass. The last step, unassayed by his predecessors, rose nearly four feet, as alien to the concept of lawn as a field of wheat. "'Think you can cut it?' one of the audience asked. Mr. Borelli smiled cheerlessly and didn't answer. Instead, he uprooted from his hip pocket a slender stone and began phlegmatically to caress the blade of the scythe with it. "'Hey, that stuff's not going to stop growing while you fool around!' "'Got to do things right,' explained Mr. Borelli gently. The rhythmic friction of stone against steel prolonged suspense unbearably. All kinds of speculation crowded my mind while the leisurely performance went on. The grass was growing rapidly, faster than vegetation had ever grown before. Could it grow so quickly the farmer's scythe couldn't keep up with it? Suppose it had been wheat or corn. Planted today, it would be ready to harvest next week, fully ripe. The original dream of Miss Frances would pale compared with the reality. There was still, somewhere, somehow, a fortune in the metamorphizer. Ready at last, Mr. Borelli walked delicately across the stubble, as if it were a substance too precious to be trampled brutally. Again he measured the rippling, ascending mass with his eye. It was the look of a bridegroom. "'What you waitin' for?' Unheeding, he scraped Bootwelt semi-circularly on the sward as though to mark a stance. Once more he appraised the grass, crooked his knee, rested his hands lightly on the two short upraised handholds. Satisfied at length with his preparations, he finally drew the scythe back with a sweeping motion of both arms and curved it forward close to the ground. It embraced a sudden island lovingly, and a sheaf of grass swooned into a heap. I was reminded of old woodcuts in a history of the French Revolution. The bystanders sighed in harmony. Nothing to it. Should have had him in the first place. Can't beat the old elbow grease, no, sir. Muscle power will do it every time. Guess it's licked now, all right, all right. Mr. Borelli duplicated his sweep and another sheaf fell. Another. And another. One of the oldest human rituals, remarked Miss Frances, swaying her body in time with the farmers, an act of devotion to Ceres. But all this husbandman reaps is synodon dactylon, a commentary. Progress, I pointed out. Now they have machines to harvest grain. All up-to-date farmers use them. Only the backward ones stick to primitive tools and have to make a living by taking on odd jobs. "'Progress,' she repeated, looking from the scythe-wielder to me and back again. "'Progress, Wiener, a remarkable conception of the nineteenth century.' The less intense spectators began to move off, not to be sure without backward glances, but the metronomic swing of Mr. Borelli's blade indicated it was all over with the rank grass now. 
I too should have been on my way, writing off the metamorphizer as a total loss, and considering methods for making a new and more profitable connection. Not that I was one to leave a sinking ship, nor had I lost faith in the potentialities of Miss Francis's discovery. But she either wasn't smart enough to modify her formula, or else... But there really wasn't any or else. She just wasn't smart enough to make the metamorphizer marketable, and she was cheating me of the handsome return which should be rightfully mine. She'd made the stuff and deceived me by an unscrupulously worded advertisement. Now, no longer interested, she asked airily if further effort were essential. Who wouldn't be indignant? And to cap it all, she suddenly ejaculated, Can't dawdle around here all day and after snatching up a handful of the scythings, she left, rolling her large body from side to side, galloping her untidy hair up and down over her neck as she took rapid strides. Evidently the attractions of her messy kitchen were more to her taste than the wholesome air of outdoors. Pottering around, producing another mare's nest, and eventually, I suppose, getting another victim. End of chapter 1, part E